When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is A Million Other Choices, and I am your host, Kim. Just a warning, possibly a trigger warning for some of you, I'm not going to pronounce many words right today. As much as I would love to invest in a linguistics coach, I'm not Ashley Flowers here, so you'll just have to bear with me. I have another Canadian landmark case for you today. It was the first case to ever have DNA used as evidence in the conviction of a murder suspect. But be warned, it's it's a bad one. It involves the sexual interference of a very young child. This is the murder of Paul Bergenung Jr. Bergenon is hard to say, so we're going to go with Paul Jr. for the purposes of today's story. Little Paul Jr. was the two-and-a-half-year-old son of Paul Bergenon Sr. As the story dates back to 1989 and for some reason wasn't written about a lot, it was kind of hard to come by background facts. I mostly just found a lot of court stuff, which is great because it's verified truth, but never gets into the inner workings of family life or what a sweet little peanut Paul Jr. probably was. Now, Paul Sr. had an older brother named Claude and then another brother, Marcel, who was married to a a woman named Michelle. Paul Sr. was not with Paul Jr.'s mom when he was two, so I'm not sure what the story was there either, but apparently there was a custody fight ongoing between Paul Sr. and his ex. Just again, not a lot of background information out there. But Paul Sr. was living in Barrie with Paul Jr. and his older brother Claude in a housing project on the west end of town at 989 East Morrison Drive. On the evening of Thursday, June 1st, 1989, Paul Sr. gave Paul Jr. a bath and put him to bed and then walked about two doors down to his girlfriend's house and stayed the night at her place. Claude had been laying on the downstairs couch when he left, but he was awake, so they'd made this exchange that he was leaving and that Paul Jr. was asleep upstairs and that he would be back first thing to get him up for breakfast. The next morning, as he said he would, Paul Sr. arrived home around 7.30 a.m. and saw Claude sleeping on the couch just where he'd been laying when he left. He went upstairs to Paul Jr.'s bedroom and noticed that his crib was empty. Confused, he hollered down to Claude, who woke up, and then they started looking around the house for him. At two and a half, kids can be little escape artists. 
But a half an hour later, it was pretty clear that Paul Jr. was not in the house and Paul Sr. called the police. A search of the neighborhood was launched and Sergeant Alan Windsor was one of the several officers that responded to the call and were out and about looking under and over every nook and cranny a little two-year-old could wedge himself. A few doors down from the Bergenon house in the back alley, Sergeant Wagner noticed a box of Ultra Pampers Plus sitting on top of a dumpster, and the placement was kind of odd. This was before the days of recycling, so why wasn't the box actually put into the dumpster? Like, why was it left on top? So he wandered over to it and lifted up one of the box flaps and discovered inside a green garbage bag. With his heart literally in his throat, he gingerly opened the bag and discovered little Paul's crumpled body. The autopsy later showed that Paul Jr. had been sodomized and strangled to death. Marks located on his neck were consistent with having been made by a belt. 30 plainclothes detectives immediately descended on Morrison Drive. They all arrived by bus to carry them all at once. Seeing that a search of the housing unit Paul Sr. and Claude lived in contained three identical boxes of Pampers, a blue-gray belt in the kitchen drawer consistent with the marks on Paul Jr.'s neck, pine needles and fibers from the carpet in the basement that matched with ones found in the garbage bag and the diaper box, and that the boy was in the mix of a nasty custody dispute, all pointed to the boy's demise was the result of actions by either Paul Sr. or Claude, but which one, or both, and why? Paul Sr. pointed the finger at Claude. After all, he was at his girlfriend's all night and Claude pointed to Paul since Claude was sleeping through whatever had happened. Paul's girlfriend might have been just saying that he was there. She could have been in on it. And Claude, well, no one could confirm that he was actually sleeping. So a bit of a whodunit with really only two suspects. When talking to the neighbors, they got a bit of interesting information. Two doors down lived Debbie DeChamps and Sylvia Robillard, who told officers that they saw Claude going into the house around 1, 1.20 that morning, and about 15 minutes later heard a noise like a child's cry cut short, and the sound had come from the upstairs bedroom. Sylvia said she also heard like a moan or like a sigh of relief. Another neighbor, Brenda Price, said that she had been in Hull, Quebec and hadn't gotten home till about 3.15 a.m., and the two friends that she'd arrived home with and her all heard three distinct bangs on the common wall that separated her unit from theirs. At 5.30, she heard cupboards opening and closing, and then at 6.30, she was woken up from a dead sleep by a door slamming. It startled her enough that she went to the window to look out and saw Claude coming out of their unit and walk up the street, turn around, and then come back. Claude and Paul Sr.'s sister-in-law, Michelle, who was married to the other brother, Marcel, said that Claude had told her that he had left the house around 5.36 that morning to have a cigarette on the front step. But he had said that he'd been in the house all night and never mentioned going outside or even waking up till 7.30 the morning Paul Jr. was discovered missing. Paul Sr. tipped the scales towards Claude by telling police that when he had arrived home at 7.30, he did remember that the newspaper was gone from the front step, and normally he was the first person up and got the paper. But none of this was conclusive evidence against Claude and proved that Paul Sr. hadn't been involved as well in Paul's Jr.'s death. Strangulation and sodomy are a tad bit unusual for a biological father to do to his own child, particularly if it's a boy child. 
custody dispute or not, it's not normally how men who kill their families go about it. I mean, the strangulation thing is, but not the sodomy. But it's also not unheard of in the sick world for that to be a thing. Both Paul Sr. and Claude were arrested on June 2nd and taken in for questioning. Paul maintained his story about being at his girlfriend's all night and not at home at all, and was considered adequately distraught over his young son's horrific and traumatizing death and was released later that day. Claude was also released, but police remained pretty convinced that he had been the one that had killed Paul Jr. While in custody, police asked him about some fresh scratches that he had on his groin and abdomen. Now, he hadn't walked into the police station naked. It's customary in these kinds of cases to be asked to remove your clothing to look for marks that could prove that you'd maybe been in a struggle. But Claude said that he had been scratched by a stray cat that was hanging around their place. He says that he had gotten up at 6 a.m. and took off his clothes and put on a house coat. He heard a cat scratching at the back door and got the cat, who had burrs stuck in its fur, and he tried to remove them for it. But the cat went squirrely and scratched him, and of course his house coat had opened in the scuffle, with the cat leaving everything exposed, and the cat got him right in the groin. He said that after Paul Sr. had left the night before, which he admitted he had done confirming Paul's claim, he sat outside the front of the house with his friend Roger Babineau and drank a 26-ounce bottle of whiskey between the two of them and a bit of cocaine and pot for good measure. He also spent some time with Christine Nash, who was a teenage girl who lived in the area. He said that she had left their place around 12.45, and like the good boy that he was, he watched a little bit of TV and then fell asleep on the couch downstairs. And what about the witnesses that heard all that noise? While he was asleep, he never heard a thing. And the neighbors that saw you walking, they must be confused. But Paul said you were asleep at 7.30 when he arrived home, and now you say you got up at six to wrestle with a cat. So they asked him if they would, he would take a lie detector test just to be sure so that they could move on and find out who did this. And he said that those machines don't work. They are a waste of time. However, due to the fact that every other member of his family submitted to a DNA test, he did too. I mean, what's DNA anyways? He'd never heard of it. But without any hard evidence, they had no choice but to let him go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Investigators at this point believe pretty strongly that sometime in the middle of the night he had sexually assaulted little Paul Jr. and strangled him, and then disposed of his body in a box of pampers before Paul Sr. arrived home and then pretended to be asleep and unaware of where little Paul could possibly be. 
Claude told investigators that the likely killer was Paul Sr., and perhaps he had killed him in the bath that night and then snuck home from his girlfriend's to hide the body and then went back to her house and pretended like he had never been gone. After all, Claude had found adult magazines in Paul Sr.'s bedroom, and some of the images were of S&M, and a book that was about an incestuous relationship between a father and his daughter. The police had in fact found a number of sex toys in the bedroom of Joanne Hopwood, who's Paul's girlfriend, including a number of dildos of varying sizes, but being into a bit of kink and using a vibrator isn't actually Serial Killer 101. Joanne confirmed that on the night of June 1st, Paul had stayed over at her place. She had returned home from work at 1.15 a.m., and she said that Claude was sitting on the front step of their place, and Paul Sr. was inside her house. Now remember, this is row housing, and Joanne lived only two doors down. She went to bed, but she's a very light sleeper, so she woke up at 1.41, 4.28, and 6.30 a.m. and checked the clock each time, and each time Paul was asleep next to her. Now, when Paul was arrested on the 2nd, he had admitted to lying that he'd been home all that night initially. Um, at the time, though, he didn't know that Paul Jr. was dead yet. He was still only a missing person at that point. He said that he had lied because he didn't want it to look bad that he had left his little boy to go over to his girlfriend's house. Paul admitted to the truth as soon as he had learned that Paul Jr. was dead. Now, forensics did find hairs, both scalp and pubic ones, on Paul Jr.'s bed. But it wasn't anything that they could really use against him since he was the father to a two-year-old that he would have dressed, read stories to in bed and whatnot. And it wasn't really that strange of a finding, although the thought of leaving pubic hairs behind in your child's bed when reading Goodnight Moon might make you rethink, I don't know, doing that. I mean, it's it's good to read Goodnight Moon, but the thought, I don't know, just the thought of leaving pubic hairs behind when you're, it's just, I don't know. Uh, because real life isn't an episode for CSI, it took three months for the DNA testing to come back from the lab. Now, it was a rather manual process back then and took forever. It still takes forever, but nowadays it's more of a backlog thing. And these tests, which thankfully Claude had voluntarily submitted a DNA sample for, found semen from Claude on both sides of Paul Jr.'s comforter, which is something you wouldn't normally deposit while reading Goodnight Moon, Four spots of a mix of saliva and blood belonging to Claude on his pillowcase and semen stains in Paul Jr.'s underwear and fecal stains from Paul Jr. on his pillow. Now, nowadays you can get a warrant to demand a DNA sample from a suspect, but back in 1989, no way. So without his ignorance of the importance of DNA, Paul Jr. would probably never have had a hope for justice. So they went back to Claude and let him know that he had some explaining to do. And he said that, well, you see, he had masturbated on the bed that afternoon while Paul Sr. was getting Paul Jr. from his girlfriend's, you know, as one does when the house is empty. So Claude was finally arrested three months later with the DNA that was tying him to Paul Jr.'s bed, and he went on trial in Barrie in 1991. As for his defense, he claimed that the scratches were from a cat. Now, this was backed up by his sister-in-law, Sylvie, who did testify that there had been a stray cat around um, around the neighborhood, and she had been scratched herself by it in May of 1989. But what's interesting is that this cat scratched Sylvie under the exact circumstances that it had scratched Claude when trying to remove burrs from its fur. I guess cats don't learn their lesson. 
they had an animal expert testify that it was impossible to tell if the scratches were human or a cat. So not very helpful. Thanks for your testimony. So the prosecutor got a dermatologist to testify that he said that the scratches could only have been caused by fingernails and not an animal. Claude also claimed that finding his semen and hairs on Paul Jr.'s bed was really nothing. They shared the same bedroom and reiterated that it was probably Paul Sr. who had killed him, but the prosecution said that made no sense. Like, why would Paul Sr. sodomize and strangle his own son with people in the house at the time and using the washroom right next to his bedroom? Claude's former girlfriend testified as well. I could only find her name in the court documents as Miss Lapine. She was a sometimes escort that specialized in domination. She had come home one night and asked him if he wanted to try it. And so they got undressed and she had used a belt around his neck, but at that time there was no choking. She says the belt was just a prop. Now, this testimony was appealed as being prejudicial because it tried to paint Claude as a sexual deviant. But Claude had opened the door to that when he went after Paul Sr. as one. So there. Michelle, his older, his other sister-in-law, testified that she had asked Claude after Paul's death, maybe you did it and you don't remember. And he told her that he didn't remember. And when she asked him, like, how do you sleep at night knowing what had happened to his nephew in his care? He said, what's done is done. What do you want me to do about it? Leave me alone. On March 2nd, 1991, the jury returned to the courtroom after deliberating. And the foreman said, not guilty. And all hell broke loose with reporters rushing out of the courtroom to file their reports. Family members were there just absolutely shook with shock and rage. There was a pause and then everyone expected to hear like guilty of second degree or something, but there was crickets until the juror next to the foreman thumped him on the back and the other jurors started yelling at him. No, no. And the foreman looked flustered and said, oh, sorry, I blew it. Guilty. And finally, with that, he was found guilty of first-degree murder of little Paul Jr., his nephew, and given a life sentence. And the prosecutor told reporters later, for that 10 to 15 seconds, Bergenon thought he was acquitted. It really was quite a moment. Uh, he, of course, appealed, and on June 2nd, 1997, the appeal court wrote, I would not give effect to any of the grounds of appeal. Accordingly, I would dismiss the appeal. So he was incarcerated at the Joyceville Institution. On May 11, 2015, a press conference from Correctional Services Canada read, On May 9, 2015, Claude Bergenon, an inmate at Joyceville Institution, Minimum Security Unit, died at a hospital in Napanee, Ontario. At the time of his death, Mr. Bergenon, 52 years old, had been serving an indeterminate sentence for first-degree murder since March 1, 1991. The inmates next of kin have been notified of his death. As in all cases involving the death of an inmate, the police and coroner have been notified and the Correctional Service of Canada will review the circumstances of the incident. And that, my friends, was the murder of little Paul Jr. Bergenon. Now, just a couple of little facts for you about DNA. The process of DNA extraction and profiling had been developed in Britain in 1985 and was first used in court in 1987 when Colin Pitchfork was convicted of the rape and murder of two 15-year-old girls. Heather McCormick, who was the Crown Prosecutor in 1989 for Claude's trial, says... 
They were testing in England and had started to do it in the U.S. And so I phoned up my investigating officer and said I wanted him to go to the RCMP lab and get our samples. So now she had to make a business case for it because at the time it was hugely expensive. And the process was also very time consuming. So DNA testing was only used very sparingly and only for the most heinous of crimes. And even then, if it did get done and used in court, the juries often didn't understand it. They kind of considered it voodoo science and might have gone the way of polygraph testing as far as being inadmissible and only an investigatory tool, not a legal one. And believe it or not, the high statistical numbers it gives, like the one in the trillion, was considered by many judges to be too prejudicial against defendants. But Heather says that the beauty of DNA is that it doesn't discriminate. In 1988, DNA was used to exonerate David Milgard. Heather says it just exonerates or includes. And it's probably as powerful a tool for vindicating people, particularly those in the states who are on death row. In that sense, it has become an extremely valuable tool that convicts the guilty and exonerates the innocent. And I'm going to be back again next week with another case. As always, thank you so much for listening. And tell your friends, share on Facebook or Instagram. Let's get the word out there that the podcast is worth a listen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.